Well, this is quite a development that we have here. Marjorie Taylor Greene is aiming to be Trump's VP pick in 2024. This is from NBC News. She sees herself on the short list for Trump's VP, said former Trump aide Steve Bannon, who has spoken with Green. So, wow. Now, recently she's been trying to clean up her image a little bit. You know, she's talked about, hey, you know, I've said some things that are offensive over the years, and yeah, I don't want to offend anybody, and, you know. And she snuggled up a little more to the establishment wing of the Republican Party, siding with McCarthy, not going with Boebert and Gates, where they were really trying to do some swashbuckling, hey, we're going to force some changes here. And this is all tactical on her part. She's still the same person who who believed in QAnon, right? Probably still does to some extent, even though she's backed away from that. Talked about the Jewish space lasers. So she's extremist, right? Like she is on the right fringe. But she's trying to clean up her image. She's trying to snuggle up to Trump. Because remember, Trump's main qualification to be his VP is what? Undying loyalty to him. He wants somebody who's going to go to the mat for him in every single situation. And Marjorie definitely has that going on. So they say uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is angling to be Donald Trump's running mate in 2024, according to two people who have spoken to the firebrand second term congresswoman about her ambitions. This is no shrinking violent. Violet. She's ambitious. She's not shy about that, nor should she be, said Steve Bannon, the former top Trump aide who hosts the, ba- the Bannon's War Room podcast on which Green has been a guest. She sees herself on the short list for Trump's VP. Paraphrasing Cokie Roberts, when MTG looks in the mirror, she sees a potential president smiling back. <laughs> oh, that's rich. He added in an interview referring to Roberts, the late political reporter who worked for NBC, ABC News, NPR, excuse me, ABC News and other outlets. A second source who has advised Green said her whole vision is to be vice president. So anyway, you guys get the gist of it here. The question is, is Trump going to be dumb enough to go for this? Because the issue with Trump at this point in time is he's kind of unelectable in a general election. He's too extreme. He spent too much time flirting with QAnon stuff, talking about terminating the Constitution, cannot get past the 2020 election. Everybody around him, even his own supporters, are like, enough with the 2020 election. Joe Biden is president www.getoverit.org and he just can't do it. Now, recently, he's cleaned up his act a little bit. Trump has. He came out and said Republicans shouldn't cut Social Security or Medicare even by a penny. That was kind of based. He had the hilarious moment at Diamond's funeral where he's complaining about how long it is while talking at the funeral, which is amazing. That's classic Trump right there. So in some ways, he's kind of, it looks like he's about to get back on Twitter. He just got allowed back on Meta and Facebook. So allowing more you know, mainstreamification of his stuff here. So, but is he dumb enough to go for somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene for VP pick? Or does he still have the wherewithal to say, I got to go a hell of a lot more moderate than that? Um, look, if he goes for Marjorie Taylor Greene, hear me now, quote me later. This is a Sarah Palin level mistake. When John McCain went with Sarah Palin and then everybody in the country was like, this is insane. McCain's about a thousand years old. He could die at any minute. And then we have Sarah Palin as president. And that's like, no, no, people couldn't abide that. I think picking Marjorie Taylor Greene would be the same sort of thing. She's just an idiot, right? She's just not, she's not, she's not prepared for this. She's not cut out for this. And so if you pick her and he might, then it's like he's shooting himself in the foot even more. And DeSantis' stock goes up yet again. So look, interesting, interesting story. Well, look what we got here, y'all. Elon Musk caving on his stated principles. So this is in The Intercept, and they say the following. Elon Musk caves to pressure from India to remove BBC documentary critical of Modi. 
Officials from India's ruling right-wing party said American tech companies like Twitter and YouTube complied with demands to remove the documentary. So shout out to Murtaza Hussein and Ryan Grimm here for this phenomenal reporting. Twitter and YouTube censored a report critical of Indian Prime Minister Nadrina Modi in coordination with the government of India, according to a top Indian official. Officials called for big tech companies to take action against a BBC documentary exploring Modi's role in a genocidal 2002 massacre in the Indian state of uh, Gujarat, which the officials deemed a propaganda piece. In a series of posts, Kanchan Gupta, senior advisor at the Indian government's Ministry of Information and Broadcasting, denounced the BBC documentary as hostile propaganda and anti-India garbage. He said that both Twitter and YouTube had been ordered to block links to the film before adding that the platforms have complied with the directions. Gupta's statements coincided with posts from Twitter users in India who claimed to have shared links to the documentary, but whose posts were later removed and replaced with a legal notice. Quote, the government has sent hundreds of requests to different social media platforms, especially YouTube and Twitter, to take down the posts that share snippets or links to the documentary, Indian journalist Rakib Hamid Naik told The Intercept, and shamefully the companies are complying with their demands and have taken down numerous videos and posts. The, this act of censorship, wiping away allegations of crimes being against humanity committed by a foreign leader, sets a worrying tone for Twitter, especially in light of its new management. Okay, so this is astonishing, guys. By the way, it has been well-known and well-documented for a very long time that Modi was involved in this genocidal act. I've read about it before. Many others have read about it before. I think we've talked about it before. The guy's a Hindu nationalist. The guy's a right-wing extremist, okay? This is what he did. There, you know, uh, India treats their Muslim population brutally. That's a well-known fact, right? We've covered this. And so here you have... Pressure from the Indian government against Twitter and YouTube, and they cave. Now, what happened? We keep being told over, oh, free speech, free speech, free speech. We believe in free speech. We believe in free speech. And then when they get pressure from some people with actual power, they buckle. Now, why? Why did they buckle? Well, my guess is there was some sort of threat held over their head. Maybe some sort of legal action against Twitter or YouTube. That's possible. Or maybe they're going to deny them access to very large markets that they really want access to because they make a lot of money from those markets. So at the end of the day... Profit overrode their principles. Profit overrode human rights concerns, free expression, free speech. And this is what we see with these corporations, right? This is what we see with these companies. Now, there is a very easy solution to all this, and we've talked about it before. But you would have to regulate big social media companies like their public utilities and expand First Amendment protections. That's what you would have to do then there would be no grounds for them to remove anything in the same way that like a, a, a phone provider, right? So AT&T or Verizon or whoever, if there's some mafia hitman that uses a Verizon network to call the hitman and say, like the mafia Don calls the hitman and says, take this person out. Can somebody sue Verizon and say, hey, Verizon, you're responsible for this? Because they're like, no, we just, we're the middleman. We just provide a service and whoever uses it can use it. We're not directly responsible for any of the specific content happening in different phone calls. If there's a drug deal being made with the Verizon network, is Verizon held responsible for that? No. So you say, hey, this is none of our business. We're not involved in it. We're just a provider. We're just a bathroom wall. We're just the middleman. And it used to be that YouTube and Twitter, th this is how they were viewed. Then... You have elites begging them, no, you have, to, you have to censor, you have to filter, you have to ban, and then this is the end result of it. And there is no such thing as a little bit of censorship, a little bit of deplatforming. It is the slippery, slippery slope of all time. And we learned with the Twitter files, we had government officials, we had the DNC pressuring Twitter, hey, remove this, hey, remove that.
The Trump administration, same thing. Hey, remove this. Hey, remove that. And now you have foreign governments doing the same thing. Now, if they're listening to India with this, I guarantee you they're also listening to in, uh, they're also listening to Israel. They're also listening to Saudi Arabia. They're probably listening to the U.S. government. And so all Elon Musk's virtue signaling, I'm pro-free speech, bro. I'm pro-free speech, bro. No, you are not. Twitter is in dire straits financially. He doesn't want to lose any more money. And so he's acquiescing to political pressure, to authoritarian political pressure. What a horrible, horrible move. And by the way, this also goes to show you all the stuff we've been talking about, about how, hey, hold on now, YouTube doesn't seem to be treating us very fairly in the algorithm. That is absolutely the case. They try to suppress independent news and politics because we are, quote unquote, borderline content. We're not authoritative content. So you push us down in the algorithm. You don't show us to new people. That way we can't grow. That way they silo us off because they don't want to deal with the headache. Well, guess what? We are we are some of the best at debunking conspiracy theories and misinformation, whether it's Las Vegas shooting conspiracy theories or vaccine skeptical nonsense or election lies. We're, we're actually good at that. And we're independents. We can change minds, unlike CNN, unlike like MSNBC, unlike Fox News. So in a world that made sense, they would promote us, but they do the opposite. And now, you know, it's dirty. The whole system's dirty. This is dirty. So. Shame on them. Shame on Twitter. Shame on YouTube. Um, there should be some sort of an investigation and there needs to be a move towards moving towards public utility. That was a very complicated sentence. <laughs> there needs to be a move to these companies being public utilities because that's the only way out of this mess. So this guy, Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire, there he came out the other day. He saw a tweet that showed this beautiful airport in Singapore. I mean, it looked like something futuristic. It was clearly very expensive airport, very beautiful airport. There were like trees and foliage inside and a beautiful shuttle and a glass ceiling. And so he looks at that and he goes, in order to have stuff like this, we need to start executing and torturing people. I <laughs> just total like, bro, you want to talk about like fascist instincts. Those things are totally unrelated. What an amazing non sequitur. No, you know how you get nice airports? You fund nice airports. You put a lot of money towards infrastructure and you clean it all up, right? Like, that's how you do it. He's like, bro, we should start caning people, like torturing them and stuff. And we should also execute drug dealers. What does drug dealers have to do with any of this, right? So he does that. Everybody and their mother is dunking on him. They're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say. Um, you are just an authoritarian. Which, of course, is hilarious because, you know, these guys like to masquerade like we support freedom and liberty, bro. That's what we love. So he comes out. This is a day later. And he says the following. People are scandalized that I advocated harsh punish punishments for criminals like in Singapore. My critics are right. Much better to be tolerant of drugs and crime so that every American city looks like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. This is working out great. And then he's got a, a video here of an area with a lot of homeless people and a lot of littering and a lot of trouble. And, you know, he's trying to say, see what happens when we're permissive, bro. And he goes on to say, we wouldn't want to execute the people who've turned our cities in a it, our cities into a zombie film. That's what that's supposed to say. Uh, that would be mean. Let's keep them alive so that our communities can be unlivable, disgusting hellscapes. Great plan, guys. So his solution is. He says it. Look, I'm not. This is not a straw man by any stretch of the imagination. He's saying it right here. He's saying we should execute these people. 
So you want to execute the homeless or petty criminals? Okay, on what planet is this not genocidal rhetoric? That's your solution. Why don't we just uh, kill them, bro? That just, that like, eliminates the problem. See, what Matt Walsh does, he does something called essentialization. So what he's claiming is somebody who's homeless, somebody who's downtrodden, somebody who's desperate and is, and is facing degradation and extreme poverty, that is essential to their being. It's part of who they are. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's a, it's not changeable. It is what it is. This is inherent. This is innate. Perhaps it's, it's genetic. You were genetically destined to be some sort of failure on the street. This is what he's doing. It's essentialization of homeless people. What he doesn't realize, which every other person on the planet seemingly seems to realize this, except fascists, right, is that this is not just the natural state of affairs. This is not like, hey, it is what it is. You're, no matter what you do, you're going to have these people. Might as well eliminate them. No. Turns out the overwhelming majority of homeless people, you know what they're lacking? Money. They're lacking money. If you give them more money, they get off the street because they can afford a place to live. Wow, what a novel concept. What a novel concept. Now, by the way, that's not to say that some of these people aren't dealing with addiction, right? Some of these people need rehab. That's not to say that some of these people aren't dealing with extreme mental illness. I'm sure some of these people are paranoid schizophrenics or have severe bipolar disorder, right? So how would you address this? How would you fix this? Well, step number one is having mental health care facilities. Step number one is taking care of people, having rehab that is universal and accessible and paid for by the taxpayer, free at the point of service, like a developed nation would do, right? A lot of these problems began when Reagan shut down these uh, mental hospitals and just let everybody out on the street. So we should help these people, right? We should do it in a humane way. But again, that's only a certain percentage of the homeless. There's a huge percentage of the homeless where it's just, hey, I don't have money. I'm down on my luck. I can't get a job or the job I have doesn't pay nearly enough. There are different tiers to homelessness. Some people are homelessness, are homeless, excuse me, and they're basically sleeping on friends' couches and bouncing from couch to couch. That's one version of homelessness. You can't even see it when you're walking the street. Another one is, the next level is sleeping in your car. There's a lot of people who have to sleep in their car. You know, this is this is the kind of homelessness that many people deal with. The way to address this is with anti-poverty programs. If you actually care about eradicating poverty, eliminating poverty, giving people good jobs, giving people a UBI so they can afford the basics, you're not going to deal with nearly as much homelessness. If you put a roof over people's heads, guess what? They ain't going to be homeless. Now, maybe even with the perfect system that you craft immaculately, you may still have some tiny, tiny, tiny number of people that are homeless. That's possible. But then we deal with that, again, in a humane way, in a reasonable way. The idea that homeless people are just bad people and they're essentially homeless, that's not, it's lazy thinking. It's stupid thinking and it's fascist thinking. Because in his mind, these are vermin and we need to eradicate them. They're not people. He doesn't view them as people. And he's flat out saying, we live in a zombie film, we should execute these people who've turned our cities in, in, you know, into a zombie film. Well... If you want to execute the people who are responsible for this, I got to introduce you to a lot of corporations and a lot of billionaires and the entire donor class who rigged the system in their favor and against working people. Remember that, guys. Rand study came out a few years back. The top 1% has effectively stolen $50 trillion from the bottom 90% of the country. 
So that means if you just kept the wealth disparity the same as it was in 1974, every single man, woman, and child in America will get an extra check of $1,144 a month, every month for their entire life. Now, you know what would happen if all these people had an extra $1,144 a month? They wouldn't be on the street. Now, would they, Matt? So this guy is incredibly loathsome. I mean, this is really something. So, um, I'm very hesitant to use that F word, right? Fascist. But he ain't even really hiding it at this point. 